When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, we take a look at the chemistry behind your food. So none of the food that we're eating is remotely similar to what it was 10,000 years ago. And when it comes to nutrition work, there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of interesting studies going on. But at the end of the day, we know what works. And it's so it's actually not food that I'm not worried about. It's more, you know, the supplement aisle. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share, leave a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So I don't really know what's in the food that I'm eating. I look at the label, right? But beyond the calorie number, I don't really have any idea what all of that stuff means. Our first guest, though, does. This is food chemist Dr. Christopher McNeil. You know, the biggest question that I have in my mind, right, talking to a food chemist is, I get an apple. Is that still an apple, or have we done stuff with it and messed with it so much that it's not really what it was 50 years or 100 years ago or whatever? So none of the food that we're eating is remotely similar to what it was 10,000 years ago. And that comes with a lot of benefits. And it also does come with some drawbacks. And we're starting to see that with the way that our food system impacts the environment. But I think the one thing I really want to emphasize is the food that we eat is safe. That doesn't mean it's healthy. It doesn't mean that it's uh, always the right thing that we should be eating. But food is always going to be generally safe. The risk of eating the food that we eat is low, as long as we're eating a, a, a diversified diet, not relying too much on heavily processed foods. But at the end of the day, humanity wouldn't be where we're at if it wasn't for the advancements in agriculture and technology that make sure that we have food on the table every day. What's the difference between healthy versus safe? Safe has a lot more to do with like the actual risks of disease or toxicity or poison or all those different types of things that you think of in terms of healthy healthy is a lot more about the relationship that we have with food more about um lifestyle choices that are associated with eating and dietary habits 99.99 percent of food in the grocery store is not going to harm you when you eat it but if you eat an entire diet that consists entirely of hot pockets that's not a healthy relationship to food or specifically like processed foods you know so when you look at food chemistry are you checking are you looking at the chemistry of the food itself or are you studying more how it reacts with us most of my work has been the chemistry of the food itself um there are people who study you know how 
food is interacting with you know, either animals or after you eat it. Or uh, I know people who are actually studying how, you know, pesticides and, and things on farms are affecting farm workers. Like there, there's different approaches to food chemistry. Uh, and it's kind of a large umbrella. Uh, the umbrella of food chemistry is, is it associated with food and is it chemistry? Is there, okay, so we kind of talked about the idea of like, look, food isn't necessarily good or bad, but are there certain things from like a chemistry perspective that like, okay, this is better than this thing, right? Like these nutrients, this chemical makeup is better for bodies than this one is. That's a, that's a hard question to answer just because there are so many chemical components of all the food that we eat. Um, I mean, every everything that gives food flavor or texture or I mean, the entire world is just made up of chemicals interacting like that is the human body is just a bunch of it's just a lot of chemical reactions happening all at once that give us life. Uh, so due to the complexity of food, it's hard to say, you know, these things are better than other things. When you look at the dietary recommendations that come out every five years, you know, the reason why they say try to eat whole grains, try to eat a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables is because those are the things that we know are good. Um, and we can try to dive into the, the chemistry and have a really reductionist approach to to try to narrow down on like why it's good for us. But at the end of the day, it's just su such a complex system that getting it down to that very like granule level is almost impossible because the, the, the chemistry of life itself is just so complex. Is, to help me kind of understand, is that kind of, I'm just going to make something up, right? I have no idea if this is correct or not, right? Like we know apples are good, but we don't know they're good because of like the riboflavin or magnesium in apples. Is that kind of how it works? We just know that they're good, so you should eat those. We have a general sense of, you know, the essential vitamins and nutrients. The, like we know we need a certain amount of certain vitamins. We know we need, need a certain amount of certain minerals. Uh, we know that the fiber from apples is really good. Uh, why it's good. That's a much more complex question to answer. Uh, and like research has shown, okay, it's good for the microbiome. So your gut bacteria really likes the fiber because they can ferment it. And, you know, they create things that are beneficial for us, but those interactions are all really complex. We know that vitamin C is necessary to prevent scurvy, but we don't necessarily know what a trace amount of some flavonoid, which is going to give it a flavor. Uh, like we don't necessarily know what that trace amount of a single flavonoid is going to do. So this is kind of like the, you know, the, the armchair quarterback kind of thing is like, what do you mean? We don't know why, like, why don't we know? Why? I feel, I feel as a person who knows nothing about this, that you guys should have figured this out already. So we have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions going on all at the same time. <laughs> We've been able to identify like a lot of very interesting and important and essential chemical reactions that make life happen. But the way that science works, and in order to really de definitively say this is causing this, you have to really reduce down all the variables. And 
sometimes you just can't reduce every variable out of an experiment um, because that's just not the way that food really exists. Food doesn't exist in this really like super narrow focused world. Food is all about complexity and chemical reactions and things like that. Is does that it make sense? Does. It does. To me, it kind of sounds like the idea of like, all right, I hate to keep using apples, but we're going to feed these people oranges. And we found that after we fed them oranges, they were happier. But it might also have been because they got good news at work. So we can't like directly attribute it to the oranges. Yeah. Uh, imagine trying to set up a study where you control every single thing that an entire population eats for like 15 years. So when it comes down to studying the long-term effects of things, we just have really crappy models that we can use. Does it change the way that you look at food, though, like really knowing what's in it? Yes and no. Um, I'd say the main thing that it has changed is I appreciate food a lot more because a lot of people are very removed from the food that they eat. They, they don't see how it's produced they don't know where it's coming from they don't know they just don't know how the food system works so having like a really intimate view on like this is how food gets to your table makes it care a lot more about it but at the same time i talk to any dietitian dietitians will always say like if you're really restricting what you're eating you're not really having a a fulfilling, healthy relationship with food. So I still eat junk food a lot of the time. I, I will say working in my field has made me more vegetarian than I was before. Like I eat meat maybe once a month now and I really focus on, on vegetarian foods. That's also just being in the Bay Area. Like the Bay Area, you're just inevitably going to become a vegetarian. But when I don't feel like cooking, I'll eat an entire bag of uh, soy chicken nuggets because it's fun. Food should be fun. <laughs> that is true, right? Like, how do we find the balance between eating stuff that maybe is not the best versus kind of just living this super strict lifestyle? I feel like Michael Pollan put it really well in a lot of his writing on food where it's, you know, eat food, mostly plants. And not too much. That, I mean, what, what is it about like the plants though and that more vegetarian diet that seems to kind of go with us a little bit better? Is there something in the chemistry of it? That's a very complicated question. It, it's never been easier for us to overeat, especially when it comes to meat. Because meat used to be really hard to get. Uh, and you only you know ate meat on special occasions. Uh, when it comes to eating mostly plants, we know that there's a lot of benefits from eating, you know, high fiber, uh, very nutrient dense vegetables. And that is partially just because we're not eating as much fat. We're not, especially saturated fat. Uh, and we're getting a lot more fiber in our diet, which is going to make us feel full, is going to keep calories down, just generally because we're not going to overeat as much uh and it's just going to add more variety to our diet uh because eating you know meat and potatoes every day 
we know that that's not healthy. So it's all about the variety in the end, uh, making sure that it's a very diverse diet uh, and that you're just not eating the same thing constantly. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Absolutely. Are food companies trying to kill us? <laughs> no. <laughs> they're, they're not trying to kill you at all. Honestly, this is sort of a narrative that people have latched onto because it takes the responsibility off of having own personal habits that are positive or negative. Uh, food companies are trying to make food that tastes good at a price that people will buy it at. It's the habit of actually buying and preparing and eating healthy food that is going to determine if your diet is healthy or not. People care a lot more about price than about health. And by keeping prices low, you know, that does mean that a lot of people are eating unhealthy food, but uh, food companies really only care about making food that people will buy and eat. This person writes, I always hear that processed foods are bad, but what about, what about them makes them bad? Like, what is it about the processing that isn't good or isn't as desirable? Uh, it depends on the food how it's being processed. Not all processed food is bad. Um, frozen vegetables are often really great forms of, of processed food uh, because they're really high in nutrients, they're high in fiber. Really, the, the processes that make processed food unhealthy is when you're removing things like bran from whole grains, because that's where a lot of the fiber and nutrients are. It's the things that end up being lost throughout the process. So it's losing fiber through uh, aggressive processing of grain, or um, there's vitamin and mineral loss during, you know, some types of canning processes or uh, things like that, where at the end of the day, there's still vitamins and nutrients in there, but it's just not the same as if you had the fresh option. So it, it's not what they're putting into it. It's what they're taking out of it. In my opinion, yes. It's more about what's lost along the way than anything that's added to it. Preservatives are not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it just depends on how often you're eating them, what products they're in, and things like that. Even if you look at like the worst foods of today, are they still better than when we ate like week old raw meat a hundred years ago or a hundred thousand years ago, right? Like is, are we still ultimately eating better than we were a long time ago? I love this question, um, but it's really hard to answer without defining what you mean by better. Uh, are they more nutrient dense? Are we getting more calories from it? than we would have, you know, a hundred thousand years ago. Yes, 100%. Like, would would the food of today sustain you longer than, you know, prehistoric, like, foods? 100%. There's a reason why lifespans are two or three times longer today than they were even a hundred or 200 years ago. If you're talking about variety, like, 
there used to be a lot more varieties of all the different foods that we eat. And that has been reduced a lot over the, the last 150 years. I did see something once that like basically all bananas are the same banana. In North America and Europe, yes. Uh, if you go to the tropics or if you go to South America, Africa, lots of Asia, they actually have more varieties of banana. And uh, the varieties of bananas that we eat in North America and Europe, uh, totally monoculture, like there's pretty much just one kind that you're going to see. Uh, but my favorite type of banana is called an apple banana. You can find it in Hawaii. Uh, and all throughout the tropics, it just tastes better. It, it, it's a little bit more sour, a little bit more tart. Yeah. I'm just picturing my grocery store. Like they got all the different things and then bananas. <laughs> um, how often does like when in your studies, like how often does the nutritional label actually match up to what's inside of the food? It's not far off uh, most of the time, um, but the way that most nutrition facts are, are the way that nutrition labels are generally made today is actually often using computer software, uh, using validated databases. So the computer software is actually doing the calculations for you. It's not like every single time Campbell Soup wants to release a new soup line, they're not performing all the calculations and like actually putting like the food in a bomb calorimeter, which is going to measure the number of calories. Like that, that's not what's happening anymore. Um, but those databases are very comprehensive and the calculations are pretty well established for uh, how they're produced. But th there are, there is regulation on how close they have to be. I guess the, these are kind of all the same question in the sense that they're all like along the same lines of, is this bad for me? GMOs. No, uh, I would, they, GMOs don't pose health risks to humans. Uh, <laughs> and it's, uh, at the end of the day, it comes more down to how they're being used, why they were developed, how they're being used. This is going to open up a huge can of worms, but long story short, uh, GMOs are safe. They, they are safe. You can talk about disagreeing with the business model you can talk about disagreeing with pat having a patent for a seed you can talk about that um but in terms of actual safety for human consumption they are safe so when we talk about genetically modified like what is that what are they doing to it i know they're modifying the genes but that that doesn't mean anything to me necessarily Modifying the genetic code of the plant itself, uh, you can either add genes from other plants um, or, uh, you know, intentionally remove specific genes to, like, turn on or turn off different attributes. The thing is, we've been selectively breeding plants for tens of thousands of years to get the desired qualities that we want. Uh, this is actually a much more targeted and specific way to do it. So it actually gives us more control as opposed to just like hoping for random things to happen over the course of many, many generations. We can actually just choose what we want to have happen now. Uh, and I think that's actually a great approach to, to, to dealing with a lot of issues. I will say uh, the applications of genetic modification you know you could talk a lot about the ethics or morality of it um but at the end of the day 
I, the technology itself is not evil. Um, how people choose to use it, you may disagree with, and you can t argue the ethics of that. But the the ability to uh, introduce genes into a crop is not inherently good or bad. Is it kind of like the idea that we used to do this with crops and the farmer would basically just pick the best crop and now we just do it with a guy in a lab coat? Yeah. Just to add, you know, when I see the non-GMO project labels on things, I get really frustrated because if you look at the actual list of approved GMOs in the United States, it's not a long list. It is not a long list. And they are slapping that non-GMO project label on absolutely fucking everything. Uh, sorry for language. Uh, but, you know, that's they're not being used nearly as much as people think they are. Uh, you know, yes, you'll see it. You'll see GMO corn, but most of that corn is not going to human consumption. Most of it's being fed to cattle and you'll see uh, a lot of GMO soybeans. Once again, most of that is going to either making vegetable oil or feeding cattle. Most of those aren't ending up in the human food supply at all. So I get I get frustrated with the conversation just because uh, most of the time it's not ending up in our food supply anyway, or if it is, it's ending up in very small amounts. In terms of like soybean oil that's coming from genetically modified plants, all of the genetic material and all of the protein that would have been like coded for by the genetic material, all of that's gone. At that point, it's just the fat from the soybean. So any actual trace of anything that was genetically modified is entirely gone. So I, I, it comes down to people just gen, generally not understanding what it means or what's being genetically modified. So anyway, <laughs> sorry for my rant. Speaking of rants, how do you feel about fake sugar and I can never pronounce this word as, as part of, you know what I'm talking about, right? As, how do you say it? And aspartame. aspartame. Too much sugar is bad for you. We know that. We know that we can replace sugar in our food with other compounds that either have fewer or no calories. Um, it's definitely a pick your battle situation. Aspartame, from a chemical breakdown perspective, when it's being digested, it is in entirely broken down through processes that our body is designed to handle to get rid of, of things. Like our bodies are really complex and are really good at handling things uh, that we eat. Aspartame, when it's used in like a diet soda, is used in such a small concentration. Um, and it's actually, in terms of aspartame in particular, uh, is actually the most studied food additive ever. Like there are more studies about aspartame than anything else that's ever been added to food. And time and time again, the United States, Europe, China, every major food agency in the world has said that the way that it's being used is safe. The thing that's probably worse for you is the caffeine from drinking the, you know, 50 diet sodas uh, that would re be required to hit any sort of like dangerous level of aspartame in your diet. We know that having too much 
like simple sugar in our diet in the form of sucrose or glucose or fructose, we know that those simple carbohydrates are not healthy for us in large quantities. We have options to replace it with other things. Um, and if you're worried about the amount of sugar in your diet, try different artificial sweeteners. Um, when I talked about aspartame on a TikTok not too long ago, a lot of people said, hey, when I drink it, I get headaches. And, you know, that is something that has been reported. There's not any real scientific evidence for why that happens. And when people have tried to explore it, they can't really identify really the mechanism that might be causing that. Is it difficult for you to go grocery shopping? And I think what this person means is like, are you always looking at the labels and being like, ooh, red dye 40? Mm -mm. I don't fixate too much on any individual component of what I'm buying. I just don't buy a lot of Starbursts or I, I do eat too many Cheez-Its. I will say like the one thing that I shouldn't eat as much as I do is like, I'll go through like two boxes of Cheez-Its a week, but that's a personal choice. And I'm like totally cool with that. But there isn't something, is there anything that you would look at and be like from a chemistry perspective in the sense that like, Ooh, that that's kind of, Ooh, that's a little bit, it's a little bit nasty. Really the only food that I'm like that with is energy drinks um, and supplements. There's a lot of supplements that you find in the store. Like food actually goes through a lot more strict uh, regulatory processes than supplements do. So it's actually not food that I'm that worried about. It's more, you know, the supplement aisle that like raises concerns in my eyes. Is that because of the the, the basic ingredients or because we don't actually know what's in it? The regulatory processes are a lot different. Um, a lot of it is, it's easier to get a supplement approved than a food. So any sort of new food additive has to go through a pretty extensive approval process. A lot of people will point to the fact that the United States has a generally, rec generally recognized as safe classification say, oh, it's so easy to get any new food item approved. It's a lot more rigorous than people think it is. It's a lot more difficult to get new foods on the market than people think it is. Uh, and supplements just don't go through the same regulation process. Uh, and it's a lot easier to get something on the market. I keep feeling like this should have all been more complicated, right? Like there should be some kind of nasty boogeyman in our food. But it really kind of just sounds like from a chemistry perspective, like just don't eat like an idiot and you'll probably be fine. 100%. Don't be an idiot is something that a lot of people still need to learn uh no it's just why do you why do you think that then was, there's such a big deal about like you got to eat blueberries like why do you think that there's all this stuff where we're constantly being told like you got to eat this don't eat this your heart will blow up as opposed to medication where like you'll only be exposed to it if you're like prescribed a specific medication we have to eat every day like we have like food is something that everyone has to have a relationship on some degree uh, because if not, you will starve to death and die. Uh, so because it's such an intimate part of our day-to-day -day life, because if you think about it, everything that you eat is going like inside of you and is in theory becoming a part of you. So like eating itself is a pretty intimate act, even if people don't necessarily think of it that way. And we live in a world where people aren't necessarily, you know, 
dying of preventable disease all the time, always. I know we're in the middle of a pandemic and this is kind of the exception. Uh, but most of the time, like the things that were killing people 150 years ago, like a lot of diseases, we're just, we, we're not really facing those anymore. Now we're dealing with things like chronic disease and we're trying to find out like, how can we prevent things like heart disease, hypertension, uh, diabetes. And we know that there are beneficial qualities to certain things. Um, but kind of, as I said earlier, with the approach to narrowing down really specifically on, you know, a specific component of food, like focusing on, you said riboflavin, uh, we know that that's not a really great model for what people are actually doing on a day to day basis. So you're seeing results from nutrition studies that haven't really been observed in the real world. You'll see data from, you know, some rodent model showed that something gives you cancer. Uh, but we haven't seen that same result in all the other studies or in actual day-to-day -day life. So there is sort of a sensationalism that goes on in the way that uh, nutrition is being reported. And also there's a lot of people who are profiting off of selling people supplements or blueberries or uh, there, there are financial incentives to, to be sensational about your conversations about, about food. Um, and that's why every other year we hear that a glass of wine is good for your heart versus terrible for your heart and back and forth. That's so true, right? And I get that in the sense that like we can repeat this thing in a lab with a mouse and we found that this is bad for you. But then when you go into the real world, we can't really repeat that ever because there's just too many variables. Is kind of all that stuff then besides eat healthy and you'll probably be okay? Is it a lie? Lie is a strong word. I mean... A misunderstanding. A misunderstanding, I think, is a better way to put it. Um, where science is always evolving. We're constantly learning new things and we're constantly integrating new ideas into you know, the general body of knowledge. And when it comes to nutrition work, there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of interesting studies going on. But at the end of the day, we know what works and it's a high fiber diet, like a high, like low, lower sodium, lower saturated fat, high fiber, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables, lots of whole grains. Like those are the things that we know work because those are the things that have been observed. Uh, anybody telling you you can or can't eat any like specific thing is generally either they have misunderstood the science or they're trying to get you to misunderstand the science. That kind of answers this other question. I, and maybe if it doesn't, then if you feel like we've answered it, then skip it. If we feel like we haven't, then don't. Um, are we making too big of a deal or not a big enough deal of our food? Kind of depends on what you mean. Um, I would I would love if people made a bigger deal out of knowing where their food came from. Like I would love if people made a much bigger deal of like knowing who grew that strawberry to connect more with food and make that a big deal. When it comes to, are we making too big of a deal? 
over like the nitty gritty, like don't eat that because it has blank in it. 100%. I think we're making way too big of a deal of that. That's all the questions that I have. Is there anything that you think we missed or kind of like what's coming up next for you? You know, being here in the Bay Area, there's just a lot of really interesting ideas and people are doing really cool things with food. Um, the center that I work at at uh, the university that I'm at now uh, actually studies uh, trends in food innovation and entrepreneurial ventures within the food space. Uh, I live in Silicon Valley. Uh, I come from a family that tech has been very good to my family. Uh, so now my space is more uh, focused on what are sort of the radical, interesting ideas within food and agriculture uh, that we need to develop new technologies for? How can we apply technologies in a new and interesting way to either produce new food or produce food in a better way? So I'm no longer locked away in a chemistry lab. Uh, I talk to a lot more business people than I ever have before in my entire life. Uh, but it's really interesting seeing what innovative and creative things people are doing uh, within food and agriculture and how we can incorporate technology better in the entire system. I want to thank Dr. McNeil so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. And we've also included his information in the episode description. Okay. Now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. Could you recognize your own body part? Like if somebody lined up a pictures of hands or legs or arms, could you recognize which one is yours? I'm flabbergasted by the question. I'm going to say yes. I think I could recognize my own body parts. Think about it, though. You could look at your leg in a picture of other legs and be like, that's mine. Oof. Um... I mean, hmm, this is actually a great question. I mean, I, I still think I could, yeah. I, th I think you can pick out your own body parts literally because you look at them all day long. I mean, you know all the intricacies, you know everything else about your own body. I think you could do it. But I don't think you really look at it where you could tell up the difference between yours and somebody else's, especially if we're talking about, like, your upper arm. There's no way you could recognize your upper arm from somebody else's. I mean, it's tough. I think I could. If you think that you could recognize your own body part, which body part do you think you would have the most, the easiest time recognizing and the hardest time recognizing? I'm going to say my. I could probably get my back. I have a really Oh, oh okay. Have, if you have a different kind of looking back, then I could understand that. I, I, I literally have, I don't, I don't even know how to explain. Like I have a soup bowl in my back, like the middle of my back. Like, it's like a, it's like a, a canyon i don't know why but it goes in i mean in like two inches in I, I have no idea why like i don't have any uh spinal issues i don't have any you know no vertebrae issues but for some reason i have a soup bowl in my back hmm i knew a guy like that who had a concave chest like there was nothing wrong with it but his chest just went in Ooh, and it probably looked painful as hell but he just it, didn't even like bother him because he's it's just the way it is yeah it looked like it looked like somebody threw a softball at him real hard <laughs> and just like dented his <laughs> chest and then it would just stayed that way okay so you could reckon that makes sense about picking out your yeah. back what what uh, what could you not recognize at all i mean my calf 
my my I mean, I, I would say probably the only let me let me break it down this way. Probably the only things I could pick out were obviously my face, uh my my feet, my toes, and my back. I don't think I could pick out much more. May, maybe my hands. But uh, that, that's probably I like I don't even think out uh, and I don't, I don't know how, how uh, explicit you want to get here. I'm not even entirely sure I could pick out my own junk if it was lined up with other junk. I don't think that I could recognize my junk either, actually. <laughs> I don't think so. Because it's I mean, mine's probably average in every single way. I couldn't look at it and be like, number one, I really honestly and like this isn't a slam against anybody. And this isn't like, oh, my man. Ugh. Like, I really haven't seen that many other male junks in my life that I've really looked at. First, I don't know why you preface that, but OK. Good. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? Like, it's cool if you that's your thing or if it's not your thing. Like, I haven't seen a lot of male stuff. So I don't think I wouldn't put that on thing list of things that I could recognize. I could recognize my calves. But see, but see, could you recognize your calves if they were just like regular? If 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 you weren't flexing, if there was just regular calves. My calves are like look. I, I've been complimented more on my calves than any other body part. I don't believe that you have great hair. That's not a body part. You're right. It's a it's a body feature. I'm sorry. You're right. It's not a it's oh, not a, a specific. Good, body that's a good part. recovery though. I didn't know what you were gonna call it. I, I guess I don't know what is what are, what are your hair? What is your hair considered? Is it a feature? Is it? I mean, I, I thought it was a body part, but I, I guess it isn't. I don't know. Well, if hair is a body part, then are your fingernails a body part? Your eyebrows a body part? They're not a body is. part, but they are part of your body. Well, technically, they're a part on your body, so wouldn't it be a body part? So then if you can say that losing a body part qualifies you for being disabled, are bald people disabled? <laughs> mm. <laughs> I don't want to touch could this. You file, I, could you file for disability for being bald? I just, I don't really want to. I, I feel like that's one of these answers. I'm just going to offend everybody in that community. So I, I'm just going to say, no, I don't think you, you, you can file for disability for being bald. I so I was born without a sense of smell. Apparently, it can or cannot qualify as a disability. It's basically up to me if I consider it to be a disability or not. If I say it is, then it is, but it is not listed in like the list of disabilities that are out there. I could I could recognize my calves. I might be able to recognize my chest. Mm-hmm. That's probably it. Do you think you could recognize your stomach though? Cuz you see your stomach a lot. Oh, I see my stomach a lot. Um, but see, I, I think if you're lining me up with other people, I just, I mean, I don't, I don't think I have that uncommon of a body type. I mean, I think there's a lot of overweight men out there, so I think it's like you know, I don't, I, I think it'd be a lot harder than I, I would think it is. Do you see that Adidas ad where they just showed a whole bunch of boobs? Uh no, but I, I, I read like a blip about it. Well, I was, actually, I was actually going to say for women, I feel like women would say that they'd be able to recognize their boobs uh, more than any other body part, I would think. Yeah, I would say that, that people would probably recognize their genitalia first. It, sure. Women more than men. I think that women would be able to identify their chest much more than men could identify their junk. For sure, 100%. I also think women, I don't know why I'm speaking for women, but I think they'd be able to uh, pick out their stomachs a lot more than men too. Oh, yeah. That's true. 
women would also be able to tell their butt. Men would not recognize. I, I couldn't. I don't know if I've ever even looked at my butt. To be honest with you, I have no idea what it looks like. If there's, I don't know if there's hair back there now. I'm sure that there is at my age, but I couldn't tell you. I couldn't recognize my butt at all. Lower back, no idea what it looks like. Uh, let me let me just go on the record and say this: that if you don't know if you have hair back there, you probably have hair. Oh, not that much, honestly. Yeah, I've got like peach fuzz on there. Is yours peach fuzzy, or you got like hair like you could comb it? No, I I, I don't. I, well, yeah, this is TMI, so all you 12-year-olds, stop listening to this uh, for a second. Uh, but I don't have a lot of hair anywhere, so no, I don't have much hair. Okay, all right. All right, let's, uh, we're going to move on over to the... What was that supposed to be? Uh, you know, I was kind of hoping for, I, I, I want to get a soundboard, because a soundboard would be a lot more fun. Uh, that was supposed what to be it? like us... Going through the galaxy to the to the next segment, you know the. Okay. But. I don't think that the soundboard and fun are two words that go together, unless you're a DJ. All right, uh, so we're gonna start off with the Rennie Gibbons. Appreciate you, uh, Rudy Alivo, Ravi Kumar, Abby Callahan, jo- John Whiteside, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> I shouldn't have looked at you because now I, I know, I know. Uh, Michael Gaynor, uh, Cindy Sue. Jesse Lashinsky, Luke Winbun, and Ty Fellows. You Two questions. Get... Okay. Is his name really Luke Windbun? It's uh it's Win Bun. There is no it's not wind. There Oh Winbun. Yeah, Winbun. Okay. And is it Rennie or Remy? Uh Rennie. Two N's. Are you... Two N's. Hmm. Yeah. It's like Denny with an R. Ooh, Denny's. Have you ever been to Denny's? Yeah. Okay, but rank these for me. Denny's, IHOP, Waffle House. Do you you wanna you wanna know something that's factually true? You've never been to a Waffle House? Never been to any of those places. You've never been to a Denny's and IHOP or a Waffle House. If if I've been, I've been so out of my mind that I do not remember it. Which is a possibility. Where would you go then? You going to fancy breakfast places, someplace with a fresh name, like La Chef Breakfast? <laughs> I mean, yeah, if I was going out for breakfast, I would go to a local place or something like that. If uh, drunk food, it was always like a Coney Island or Taco Bell or something along those lines. I'm not getting drunk and going to IHOP, I can tell you that. That's an American tradition. That's against <laughs> being an American. That's honestly know. like somebody should revoke, like deport you for not ever going being <laughs> drunk at IHOP, Denny's, or... Waffle House. I don't what's, think it's what, legal. What, I mean, what's being American anyways nowadays? You know, let's. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> As you're drinking a zero sugar Dr Pepper, is that diet Dr Pepper? At that, I don't know if zero sugar is technically considered to be diet. <laughs> I think they've basically found a loophole that allows men to feel better about themselves. Honestly, I think that was the whole point of coming up with that. Your uh, your your pop tastes are are, are pretty pretty bad though but we've covered that a long time ago right (laughs) (laughs) right all right well moving on Uh, all right i don't Um, disagree i don't have a sense of smell i have different tastes than you do i like strong flavors that most people consider to be disgusting i'm just all right would you rather be really smart or really athletic well, really athletic, because then it doesn't matter. You don't have to be really smart. <laughs> the world is full of very rich, dumb athletes. 
who seem to be very happy with their lives. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, would you rather eat your favorite food for 30 days straight, but then never eat it again? Or uh, not be able to eat your favorite food until you're 55, but then have it as much as you want for the rest of your life? Well, first of all, if I didn't eat it until I was 55, I wouldn't know it's my favorite food. No, like we cut you off right now. Oh, I don't get to eat it anymore? Until that was I'm 55? That's a fucking question. Well, I would rather do that because then at least I could have it again. After the third day of any kind of favorite food, you'd be sick of it. That's an easy question to answer now that I think about it. Now I'm getting heated about it. Because, yeah, everybody's going to choose the 55. It's not your favorite. You're going to get sick of it. What food could you honestly Mm. eat every single day? Like you could eat this every day and never get tired of it. Taco Bell. Arby's. I don't know, man. I think you would get sick of it after – Sushi. Day. Now Risk you could it. make. I could. I would say that you could probably eat it five to six days out of the week. But if you ate it every single day, you'd get tired of it within a week and need a break. So that's an easy answer. Fifty-five and over. I mean, I would also wait till fifty-five. But I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm all for being able to eat your favorite food for uh, for thirty days straight. I, I think you could do it without get. I, I think you'll get sick of it near the end. But I think you could do it. Right. Then they make a whole documentary about a guy who almost died doing that. Yeah, Supersize well, me. Yeah, well, we, let's not talk about. All right. So our top five is a top five food genres. And before we get into this, I think that everybody should realize that John and I are morons. And we don't understand the various differences between certain regional foods. Okay. So give us some leeway. I do not know the difference between Ecuadorian and Bolivian food. This is a lapse on my part. I would lump that into a broader category, right? We understand that we should probably be smarter about this stuff, but we are not at this moment. So what's your number five? I'm going to start out with – I don't even know if my number five is technically a genre, but I'm going to put it in there anyways, Uh, and that is fast food. Okay, let's talk about this later because my my number one is kind of along these lines where we could have this conversation if that's a genre of food or not. So your number five is fast food. My number five is Cajun food. Ooh, oh, give me some shrimp po' boy. That's a good. You know what I? Crawfish. Man, I need to put that. That that was a that's, that's a good, a good one. I did not think of that. That's a good one. I, I do love me some Cajun food. I'm going to honestly go ahead and say that if we were to divide America into like regional food groups, Cajun food is probably the best. Southern food, it's it's like an offshoot of Southern food, which Southern food is probably the best regional food genre. But Cajun food is like the top. It's like of that subgenre. Mm, that's tough for me because I really, really like seafood. But I don't know if I would go West Coast, if I would go East Coast. I go down to Florida and try not to, you know, die when I eat the food down there. I don't know. That Cajun's definitely up there. That's Cajun's that was a good. good. That was yeah. a good. All right. One. What's your number four? Uh I have Italian food. Ooh. Do you here, consider Pete do you consider pizza to be Italian food? Uh yeah. Yeah, I would say I would say that. Um the reason why I have it. I wouldn't even put it on the list. I'm kind of putting it on the list just because I feel like like I have to. I feel, and I, once again, I'm going to piss off a lot of people here, I think. 
But I feel like out of all the 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 food genres, Italian is probably the easiest to make yourself. So when I go to like an Italian restaurant and I order rigatoni or something and it costs me $25, I look at it and it's delicious and I probably couldn't do it, but I'm like, I could make this at home. You know, I can't make a shrimp po' boy at home. That I agree with that actually. No, the best spaghetti I've ever had is spaghetti that I heat up on the after you cook it and then you heat it up on the pan. You like fry it after it works. Ooh, and it that's has the that best little spaghetti. coating, right? Has that like right. little coat? Yeah, it's got okay. that kind of crispness to it. Yeah, I would argue with that. I yeah, I don't think I've ever had better Italian food at a restaurant than I've made at home. The it's relatively <laughs> easy to make. Yeah, it's not, it's not that hard at all. I mean, it's really all in the spices and, and whatever sauce you choose anyways, really. Noodles are noodles. Yeah, that's true. I would agree with that. What's your number four? Indian food slash Thai food. I'm going to put those together. I couldn't decide. Thai food's pretty fucking good. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we can come back to that, but I, I have Thai food on my list. Okay. Um, uh, so my number three, I have Mexican. Mmm. Okay. I agree with that. I have my number three is Italian food, and then my number two is Mexican food. I could okay. I could put I could put Mexican food at number one if not for the fact that in my knowledge, basically all Mexican food is meat, cheese, sour cream, guacamole, salsa in a flour product. <laughs> uh like, yeah, I mean you're right, but it's it's fucking delicious, and then the things that you can do with it. Oof. I um what what's your favorite Mexican like other than tacos? Do you have like another kind of Mexican food that you that you really like? Burrito. But okay. it's just the same stuff in a different flour or corn product. Yeah, right? for sure. Then yeah. the same thing like a tostada, okay, like here we've got a taco, then we roll the taco, then we flatten the taco, and there's a tostada. <laughs> and then I don't know what the difference between a burrito and an enchilada is. The enchilada has something on the top of it. But it's yeah, good. I mean, it's it's probably fair. I would think. I mean, I, I think there's a serious question if we're going to have any listeners after that because we probably offended basically everybody with our lack of knowledge about food. Ah, uh, listen, man, that's what makes it so great because anyone can like whatever they like. Who who gives it? Who gives a hoot? Okay. Um, uh, so my my number two is just uh, I just put down American food. Mm. Like 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 steaks, ham, and I, I once again, I'm sure it's not just American food, but I'm I'm classifying it as American food. But cheeseburgers, you know, steaks, stuff like that, just you know, red what red blooded Americans eat. Okay, so my number one is American food, but only because I would say that r- American food is basically just taking the best thing from every culture and having that, like or our hamburgers it like worse and right. And making like, it just unhealthier the, the, yeah. and then eating that. Yeah. So like hundred percent. I consider pizza to be American food. I consider hamburgers to be American food. I almost consider pad thai to be American food. <laughs> All right. Well, that's my number one. Uh, Saint Jerry said yours. My number one's Thai food. But do you know anything besides pad thai? Like, are you going to go down the list and be like, "Ooh, pad thai"? Uh, I mean, I'm. I well no I'm not I'm not gonna know the names and I'm not gonna even try because I would offend everybody but I mean right. but no I mean 
Ty, I, I will say this that I, I usually get the same thing, but it's it's probably the best one of the best things I've I've ever had. So it's it's all good. Thai pad Thai is really good. Oh. There's a curry that's in pad, but I don't know what it is. That's the problem, right? But see, no, now you're mixing, right? Because I don't think curry is a Thai thing. I think it's an Indian, an Indian uh, spice. Mm. See, I would also include sushi in American food at this point. Like, the best thing from every regional food group, we have basically taken, and I would say that that is now constitutes as American food. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, and I, I don't think you're necessarily wrong, but I, I would, I like put, I have Japanese slash uh, sushi on my honorable mention just because I feel that that is still Japanese. It's not American. My only problem with you putting Thai food as your number one is the only thing that you can basically name is Pad Thai. Well, no, I mean, I, I I can name the ingredients and and other and other dishes. I just don't know their names, and I don't want to offend the three Thai listeners we have uh, by trying to say them. Hmm. What would you say is the okay? Give me your honorable mention, and then give me your least favorite types of food. Ooh. Uh so honorable mention. I have Greek food or, or Greek Mediterranean, Japanese, obviously slash sushi. Um, I would probably say my my least favorite kind of food is probably anything uh and i i don't know what you would call this maybe island food like like raw fish like i'm not a big raw fish person my honorable mention i don't really have any honorable mentions i just have ones i don't like like french food fuck out of here i don't even i don't even know what french food is (laughs) i don't even know if i've ever seen a french restaurant to be honest with you uh yeah, I don't think I've ever eaten it one. If, if I'm sure there are some, yeah. I don't know if I've ever had Canadian food. What's Canadian food? Mm, I don't think they have their own subgroup. I don't think. I feel like it's just a healthier version of American food. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't. I, I don't. I don't think they have their. I don't think they have one. I mean, Canadian bacon is about the only Canadian anything I can think of. I think it's John, just ham, though. Yeah, R.I.P. John Candy. Oh God, that's a good movie. I love that movie. Uh, don't care about French food. I might get crap from my family for saying this. Polish food, not that great. Po- so, yeah, Polish food to me, and I'm once again, I'm going to get shit on for this, but like pierogies, sauerkraut, you know, you're blurring the lines there with German stuff. But it's like Italian food to me. I mean, I can make, make it and it probably tastes the same. I don't really like German food that much. Nothing, well, wait a minute. I like the idea of German food, but if I was to go to like Epcot or a place where I had many different kinds of food lined up, I would like the idea of German food, but then once I looked at the menu, I would probably get something different. Like, oh, that's just a big sausage and some sauerkraut. Like, mm, I'm probably going to get something different than that. Well, I give me, give me a big sausage and a beer all day, and I'm, I'm a happy dude. I would honestly make an argument that Chinese food has been... Easily surpassed in my mind now by Indian food and Thai food. That I used to like Chinese food, and now that has been surpassed by Indian food, Thai food, and Japanese food, where I don't like Chinese food as much. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I actually think Indian's probably second on my list out of what you just said. I Because all the spices. I'm a big curry fan. Big, mm. big curry fan. Except I tried making it one time, and I smelled my house up for about a week. I think I fucked it up pretty bad. Ethiopian food's pretty good. I like Ethiopian food. I, I think, yeah. I think a, what is it, a gyro or a gyro? Which one of those is Lebanese? 
I believe it's actually pronounced Euro. Is that Greek? Yeah, I believe it's Greek. Yep. Okay, well, I like that. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, please leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. And we'd love to know, what are some of your favorite food genres? I don't know if fast food really counts, but if it counts as a genre, I kind of got to agree with John. I mean, that's, that's in the top five. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.